Well, the literal definition of the word pastor is shepherd. So today I will attempt to shepherd you, but know that the Lord shepherded me first. (laughs) I do believe that as a church, we have begun to drift in the wrong direction. But don't get too upset because this is unavoidable. Drift is going to happen. We will always tend to stray until the day when we are glorified in God's eternal kingdom. In my profession, we call that job security. There is a reason a shepherd carries a crook, folks. You know that uh, long staff with the hook at the end? What is it for? It's for gently grabbing a sheep by the neck and turning it around. There is always going to be a need for the rod of correction. You've seen the title already, What's Got to Go at Go? Apologies for the cuteness, but maybe this will stick with you for a week or two. The point is that in terms of how we think of our church, we've let some chaff get in with the wheat. Today we need to do a bit of sifting. I'll start by reading three short passages, all of which point to the same basic truth. What is that truth? Basically this, all we need is God. Look for this truth in the background as we read these three short passages from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. He writes, and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And lastly, from chapter 12, verse 9, and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So, what if we applied these verses to our church as if God had written them to us, which of course He has? What if we looked for more of God and less of ourselves in the equation that equals Go Church? The principle here, as I said, is basically all we need is God. The problem is that even in the church, we tend to rely on other things, like leadership, like certain people, or methods, or anything other than God. But as Jesus put it in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And yet also, he said, when you abide in me, you can bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. And yet he also said, as I just said, that we can't do anything without him. So it's kind of like, which way do you want to go with that? So here's the deal. In all of these verses we've read, I think, just like the church at Corinth, our church is coming up a little bit short. Right now, We have a little too much of ourselves and not quite enough of God at Go Church. We are a little bit long on our own power and a little bit short on God's power at this point in our journey. And that's not good. So what needs to go? Three things. First of all, self-sufficiency. Let me ask you a few rhetorical questions to get started. What is our church known for? The power of God or good sermons? What do you come to experience here? 
life-changing worship or well-done music? Do you come because the children's ministry is safe and effective? Or do you come to receive life from the Holy Spirit? Do you come to be with people you like? Or to be with God and all the people? Now, of course, there's a little bit of both and wrapped up in the right answers. But the underlying principle of the text we started with is that it's going to be our power or it's going to be God's power. Not both. It's going to be us or Him when it comes to our source of strength and when it comes to our focus. We see here that our motives matter to God. Who gets the credit matters to God. Even our goals and our dreams for this particular local church matter to God. Who's it all for? Who makes it work? What will it take to get it done? Nothing will quench the Spirit like self-sufficiency. Jesus made this clear as daylight in his Sermon on the Mount, among other places. Only spiritual beggars receive all that the Spirit brings. Those who are self-sufficient get only what self can give. Paul makes this clear in the text we read as well, pointing out that only in our weakness will God show up in power. That if we don't seem to need His power, we will get only what we can get on our own, which is nothing that matters. We must utterly die to our self-sufficiency if we want to have the power of God. Put another way, we can have our own power, we can have God's power, but we can't have both. That's really clear, particularly in 2 Corinthians 12 there where we learn that God's power is perfected or manifested in our weakness. What then of our strength? What if we already feel strong? You know, what if we think we're good? Now, I'm not talking about denying that we have areas of strength in our church, but rather I'm talking about remembering where that strength comes from. Our strength does not come from a person or people. Are you hearing me right now? Our strength does not come from Pastor Mark. I can tell you. And please, if you're one who thinks too highly of me, lower your expectations, or I promise you I will lower them for you. You do not need me. You need Jesus. Similar to this church does not need any person or any particular provision. This church needs God and whatever he chooses to supply. Thankfully, the Lord has granted amazing leadership in this church, and I'm not even talking about the staff who are wonderful, but I'm talking about volunteer leaders who are just flat out amazing. Where did they come from? I really do ask myself that question. How in the world? Why, why did they come here to a church plant? Answer? Anyone? Thank you. God. And who empowers these leaders to do anything that really matters? God. We need to remember this very well. I want to ask you to really think about this. For those who are deeply committed and who really, really care about what happens in this church, what are you relying on for our current and future success? Who are you relying on? You think it's about leadership? Who brought the leaders we have? Can the one who provided them not replace them? You know what was the primary sin of the Israelites who wound up wandering in the wilderness? It was the fact that God had already done everything they could have ever hoped to witness. And yet they were not sure he would do it again. I've mentioned leadership. But it's the same with money, you know. We started this church from scratch just a few years ago, so it's not hard to look back to when we had nothing. There was not even a bank account when we started. Every single dime that ever paid for anything had to be received at some point. And then there's now, five years later. And we have, I don't know, close to a half million dollar budget annually with a lot in the bank. And yet, what will be our tendency if we have a down month or two in our giving? Or if we lose a family who was giving regularly, what will be our tendency? Think about it this way. What if something happens that means we lose a substantial amount of our income? 
money that we do, in fact, need in order to pay for things as a church. What if a bunch of people were to leave and take their money with them for some reason? What will we do? Listen, God brought the people and the money in the first place. Can He not do it again? Is anyone but God indispensable around here? That's a no. Don't get me wrong. God knows it takes money to do ministry. And it isn't that we need to think money is unimportant. That would be silly. I'd love to continue to be provided for as well as the rest of the staff. We want to keep funding missionaries around the world, all the other stuff. So that's not the point. But the point is that when you understand God provided our resources in the first place, you don't have to worry about him continuing to provide. Honest question. Are we still trusting in God like we were when we started with nothing? Or are we trusting in our bank account? Are we trusting in our givers or God? Let me tell you, it takes work to keep trusting in God when you have a lot. And this church has been given a lot. So, have we become self-sufficient? It's a serious question, very serious. Oh, we got a great preacher. No, really, he's good sometimes when he doesn't go too long. I don't know about that, but if there's one thing you can count on, it's that I won't always be here. Will my eventual departure be the death knell for our church? Lord have mercy if you think like that. God help us if we are that weak, that human-powered. Please, no. And we could just go right down the line. Great music, great youth ministry, great children's ministry, great men's and women's ministries, and all the rest. Let me ask again, have we become self-sufficient? I remember when we had none of those things. We had nothing. Zero. Zip. A few of you remember when we had a great core group, about 20, 25 people, and you think that's where it all began. But I remember when we didn't even have a core group. I remember when we had nothing. I remember when I had Christy, and she's more than a handful of awesomeness. <laughs> but she was it. I remember personally asking every single core group member to join our effort, which was basically to join nothing because we had nothing. You think we were self-sufficient then? No, we were not. And we were praying our guts out. What about now? Let me give you a little bit more specific uh, thought on this point to make it real. Folks, we can have a great service with some good Bible teaching, great music, and a great kids' ministry, and we can gather and feel like we have a great church, maybe even a church we'd want to invite people to attend, and we can even have new people come in every week as we do, and we can feel pretty stinking good about what we've got after only a few years, and we can do all of that and more without a shred of the Holy Spirit. Listen, it can happen. You can get a pseudo-church going and keep it going without God. That's just the truth. It can happen. Sometimes lately, I'm afraid that this is starting to happen. Have I said too much? I'd rather be hard on us now than have God be hard on us later. Now is the time for course correction. While we're not too far gone, because I know churches that really are too far gone, and the greatest leader on earth can't save them. Now is the time to ask God to change our hearts today. We are nothing apart from Christ. We are nothing without the Holy Spirit in our midst. This church is nothing without the powerful, moving, empowering, obvious presence of God. Can I be real? You're like, you haven't been yet? What, I mean... Sometimes uh, I really would like to see a little more evidence 
of the working of the Holy Spirit in our midst? Let me ask you this. Do you know that you have been in the presence of God when you gather with this church? I sure hope so. I hope we're not settling for what we can do on our own. Because, friends, we can appear to do a lot. We could even have a thousand people showing up and God staying home. Paul said, my preaching was not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. He's saying our sufficiency is only in God. Later, he says, it's only the Spirit of God who gives life to things, not our human genius or ingenuity. We need God to show up when we have church. We don't need a well-crafted sermon nearly so much as we need God. Amen? Maybe somebody reasonably says, okay, this is all a good reminder, Pastor, but what now? I'm glad you've asked. One day, God may very well remove some of the things that make us feel adequate and self-sufficient, but He isn't doing that on this day. So what can we do to get rid of this terrible self-sufficiency problem? And yes, identifying the problem is a start, but what can we seriously do about it? Let me tell you a couple things. How do we get rid of our self-sufficiency here at Go Church? Two very real steps. First, from this point forward, I am not going to be almost the only one who ever preaches. To be clear, I'm not at all talking about taking more vacations. I'm not saying I won't be here. I'm saying that you'll show up some Sundays and it will be one of our other pastors preaching. How often? We're going to try roughly once per month with somebody else preaching going forward. Let me tell you something. I really don't want to hear from another person that they're mostly in this church to hear me preach. If that's the main reason you're here, well, let me just tell you, it's not a sign of a healthy church. Hearing a certain person preach is not the primary point of assembling with other believers on the Lord's Day. That's about as biblical as going out to the woods by yourself and calling it church, which, to be clear, is not biblical. How do I know this is not the point? Because I read my Bible, and that's not what I see there. The purpose of the church is not to hear the best sermon possible, folks. Probably go online to do that, I guess. And so others, particularly those who need the experience, will be preaching more. And there are actually several reasons for this, not the least of which is preparing for the future. So if you don't think whoever's preaching is as good as me, maybe you better pray harder for the Spirit to work on those weeks so that we can be the Spirit filled church God wants us to be. Maybe it isn't your favorite speaker. You'll listen better maybe to what God is saying instead of what He's saying, instead of eloquent, uh, persuasive words. What does our text say? His power is made perfect in human greatness. No. In human weakness, not strength. That's the first thing. Second, and this is really on my heart, to get rid of our self-sufficiency problem, we're going to add more corporate prayer into our Sunday morning worship service. We, are, we, we, we did tested it last week. It's going to start next week. As I've said before, the, the songs are in fact prayers that we pray together, so it is not as if we do not have corporate prayer or that this is not a house of prayer because the songs are prayers, but I want to do more in the area of leading you to pray together. So if the songs are already prayers that we pray corporately, why add more corporate prayer? Partly because the corporate praying that is done through the songs is not in your own words, right? I believe God wants to hear from your heart. 
Imagine if the only thing you ever said to your spouse was to read something from a greeting card. Worse, what if you didn't even mean it from your heart when you read the card? We can do better in both ways, by engaging our hearts to mean what we're singing as prayers to God, but also by having a time during the service when we pray in our own words together. Not just listening to some guy up here praying. As Paul also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15, we should pray with our spirits and our minds, and we should sing with our spirits and our minds also. Let me just tell you, this church has become way too comfortable. I'm afraid too many of you are only observing rather than offering something from your hearts to God. And so for starters, during the time when I normally offer a welcome and say something stupid about the weather, I'm going to be leading you in times of corporate prayer. What I mean is that I'm going to try to guide you to actually pray together each week. There will be silent pauses as I guide you to pray about different things. I'm just going to believe that you're actually praying in your hearts in those moments that we have this room full of prayers being offered up to God. Now, why does this help with our self-sufficiency problem? Well, because you are going to be encouraged to ask God instead of presuming upon Him. More prayer, more power, as they say. You're going to be led to give something to God, to do some of the talking, to involve yourself, rather than sitting back and casually watching what somebody's doing up here. I believe more corporate prayer will help us move from self-sufficiency to dependence upon God, the kind that invites the Holy Spirit to bring His power into our services and into our lives. By the way, I know some of you um, have an eye toward revival right now, and you're praying for this to happen right here. I love that, and I'm with you. I believe that more corporate prayer might just be how revival starts in our church. Let me add, we should also be praying corporately in our go groups. And I know that most of you are doing that. All right, moving on. There are two more things that have to go. And the next one is this, self-exaltation. Who are we exalting in this church? Who is getting the credit for all that has happened? Let me just say it, I get way too much credit, way too much. It, it, it tends to happen in church plants where there was nothing and now there's something. It, it tends to happen. If we're talking about people who should get credit, we could start with my wife and go down a long list from there, but folks, neither individual people nor the church as a whole should be the object of our exaltation, never, ever ever. Someone said, touch not the glory of God. Amen to that. Listen, we have got to end every single instance of basically saying, look at what we did here. We didn't do this. God did. Now, He used us, and I'm not going to be silly about it as if He did all this without us, but ultimately God did this, and the only things that really matter and will endure for eternity were done by Him. And so God gets all the glory, every last shred of it. But oh, we, we know our lines, don't we, in the church? We know the words to say. God gets all the glory, right? Of course, that's what we say. But what do we really believe? Let me see, what have I heard Everything rises and falls on leadership. I've heard that so many times. I've actually said it myself in relation to the church. And to a point, there's truth in it. But after that point, it's totally untrue because in reality, everything rises and falls, falls on God. So let me put a clause on the end of that statement to make it actually true. Everything rises and falls on leadership from God. I mean that in a couple ways. First, if the leader is God's leader, the church can rise. If the leader is God's leader, the church can rise. Acts 20, 28 says the Holy Spirit puts pastors in place. Second, if the leader is leading with God as his source of strength, then the church can rise. Honestly, if either of those things is not true, the church will eventually fall to one degree or another. The bigger point, though, is that God is the only linchpin in that equation. 
God gets all the glory and all the credit because God is the one who gives the increase. Look back at the text I read at the very beginning from 1 Corinthians 2 verse 5. The apostle Paul says, I don't want to be thought of highly by you. Why? So that your faith will rest not on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So important. Who is holding Go Church together? God is. Who got us through COVID practically unscathed? God did. Who has added to our number day by day those who are being saved and baptized? God has. Who brought us amazing leaders? God did. And so, folks, who is it that we should be exalting? When I do something like that, it means it wasn't a rhetorical question like all the other ones. Let me ask, do you tell people how great your church is or how great your God is? Now, you can tell them your church is a great place to experience God. That works. But more importantly, is it? Thanks for the nod. But we need to think about it. Is our church a great place to meet God? I hope so. But again, I would like to see more. More of Him. Do you know the best way we can make sure God doesn't want to be here? By exalting other people or things above Him. There's a word for that. It's called idolatry. And nothing is more repulsive to God. Might as well ask Him to keep out. Psalm 115 says, Not to us, O Lord, but to Your name be the glory. This must be one of our primary prayers as a church. This must be foremost in our minds to bring glory to God with what we do and never to keep any for ourselves. This principle is apparent within the Scripture. I read in the beginning as well, but let me give you one more passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where Paul writes, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine, let light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves." Let me elaborate only to say that we, the people of the church and the leaders of the church, are referred to here as darkness and as earthen vessels, clay pots. That's about how much glory we ought to get out of this whole thing, the glory of darkness at worst, or of clay pots at best. We are the darkness from which the light of God is shining. We are the clay pots which serve only to hold the treasure of the gospel. Not only is it right when we give God all the glory, but it's also simply the truth. Our church is nothing but a place from which God may shine. He is the star of the show. And when He is not, we revert to the darkness and clay that we are without Him. Now, I love this church. I love what God has done here. I love telling people about it. But I need to be very, very careful that when I do, I point them to Jesus and what He is doing. Have you ever tried to tell somebody about your church? And maybe maybe you can't think of what to say. They're like, well, what's so great about it? And you're like, the preaching's really good. Uh, The music's great. Or whatever. Can I suggest that you're having the wrong conversation? Don't tell them how great your church is. Don't tell them, oh, it's not too big and not too small. It's just right. What is this, Goldilocks Church? (laughs) How shallow are statements like that? No, instead, tell them how great your God is. Tell them how great it is to gather with others who simply want to glorify and worship Jesus, who want to be changed who want to wrestle with God a little bit and come out with a limp, maybe a new name. But you know, a place where people are just trying to learn how to be more like Christ. 
to experience His spiritual power and presence. Tell them about what God does here. Tell them about Him. Now, friends, if God isn't doing enough around here for you to talk about it, maybe some of what I'm sharing today is the reason. I know, I know, God's, I know God's doing stuff. I hear stories. Prayers are answered. I know of lives that are changing, people becoming more fully devoted to Christ. We've seen three individuals make a first-time profession of faith in Jesus in this last few weeks. You know, three people move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's a big deal. But still, I don't think we're seeing God work like He could. I feel like we're limited somehow. It's like there's a governor, if you know cars, a governor that's been placed on our spirituality or even more on, on the work of the Holy Spirit. Why? Why the governor? Why not more? More of him. Two clear reasons so far. Self-sufficiency and self-exaltation. That's why. These things need to go. The third thing that needs to go is similar. Self-advancement. And I, when I say self-advancement's got to go, I'm not talking about your life as an individual. Today, I'm talking about the self-advancement of our church. And I'm saying that's got to go. I'm saying that you and I cannot be about advancing Go Church Ridgefield. If you've been trying to do that, he said to himself, stop it. The growth or improvement or advancement of this particular church is not what we are to be about. Listen, this church is not an end unto itself. Not even close. Now, quickly, I'm not saying we ought, to, we ought not to have been wearing Go Church t-shirts, okay? We, we, want, we always go to the shallow, quick-fix type of thinking for things. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't send out invitations for Easter Sunday, which we are doing. I'm not saying there's no place for promoting our services or getting the word out that, so that people will come and hopefully encounter Christ in His people assembled. We proclaim the gospel here and we want folks to come and hear. So we will continue to do invitational kinds of things. What I'm saying is that we've got to do these things for the right reasons. How many people did we have Sunday? Wow. It's harder than you think. How do we keep this straight? I think we keep it straight by remembering exactly what this church is to God. We refrain from self-advancement by remembering the point of every church, including our own. We need to know what we are in the hands of God. Do you know what this church is? And what every individual church, every local church should be in God's hands? a tool. We are a tool. Each church is a tool. In fact, each church is the tool for one very specific and important thing. And where there is a tool, there must be a purpose for it, right? Hopefully nobody thinks Jesus helped us plant this church just to look down and say, hey, well, look at what we made. So check it out. There's something where there was nothing before. No, he brought this church together as a tool with a bigger purpose. And think about it. Is the purpose of a tool to make itself bigger or better even or more attractive or even more useful? No, the purpose of a tool is to do something outside of itself. The purpose of a tool is to do what is made to do for the person who made it. So why did God make this church? Here's the answer in a sentence. The purpose of the church is to advance the kingdom of God on earth. Notice the purpose of each local church is not to advance itself. No, each church is a tool which God uses to advance His kingdom on earth. All right, so what do we mean by the phrase kingdom of God? And how does this church advance this kingdom? 
God's kingdom is a phrase used throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament. John the Baptist and later Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. They were always talking about the kingdom of God, that it was coming, that it was here already in some sense, that it was about to take root and that eventually his kingdom would take over. What do they mean? The kingdom of God refers to his plan, his will, his redemption, his love, his message, and ultimately his restoration of the earth. The church exists to advance the kingdom of God on earth. We are his tool for kingdom advancement. Is that how you typically think of your church? Is that the first thing you think of? If not, I have not said enough in the past. Or maybe you haven't been reading your Bible. Start in the Gospels and then go through the book of Acts, the book about the church, and underline every reference to the kingdom of God. In fact, the book of Acts, which among other things is a story of the church as God intended it to be, begins and ends with the kingdom of God. At the beginning in Acts 1-3, Jesus is spending his last 40 days on this earth between resurrection and ascension doing what? He's teaching people about the kingdom of God. At the end of Acts in chapter 28, verse 30 through 31, we see Paul doing what? Preaching the kingdom of God. Like bookends. You can look those up later. The biblical account of the church is an account of the advancement of the kingdom of God on earth. And we continue the story. Similarly, the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 6, 33, where Jesus Jesus said, what? You probably, a lot of you know it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the other things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom first. Remember that. We seek His kingdom, His kingdom as a church. It's about His kingdom. It's a little bigger than us. If we do that, all the, worst, all the rest works out. How did Jesus say we should pray? Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, which is, goes together, even as it is in heaven. This ought to be our primary prayer as a church because advancing His kingdom is the reason we exist. Now, we need to get a little bit more specific and dig down into the how-to. So let me start with a clear statement. The primary way we advance the kingdom of God on earth is this one thing, to make disciples. Okay, so this is peeling back, peeling back the layers of the onion, and it's important to understand because... Some would say they are advancing the kingdom of God today by, I don't know, being nice. Or maybe by fighting climate change or something uh, like that. And I'm not saying our church can't do some good things, you know, and community service and stuff to kind of on the edges to advance the kingdom. But look, none of that stuff is ever going to be the main thing. We don't advance God's kingdom by being nice. We advance his kingdom by making disciples. As Jesus so clearly commissioned us, for example, in Matthew 28, we are to go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey his commands. This is the call upon each of us, and this is job number one for his church to what? To make disciples. And someone said, but I thought you just said our job is to expand the kingdom of God. Right. So we're talking about the what and the how at the same time. The what is to expand the kingdom. The how is to make disciples. And by the way, what is the why? Because of love. Our slogan. I'll also add, for his glory. There you go, Carrie. Westminster Catechism. Those two things. Because of love and for his glory. All right, so hopefully you can begin to see the link between making disciples and advancing God's kingdom. It's like this, when a person becomes a disciple of Christ, they move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, 1 Peter 2, 9. When a person is saved from sin by Christ, they are radically rescued from the quickly passing kingdom of this world, even as they're placed firmly into the eternal kingdom of God. This being the case, every new disciple becomes, quite literally, an expansion point for God's kingdom on earth, an oasis 
for God in a dry and weary land. In other words, kingdom advancement happens one person, that is one disciple at a time. But what does this have to do with the church and what does it have to do with making sure our church is not mostly about advancing our own little mini kingdom complete with our pride in doing so? And if you're thinking, what's the problem as long as we are making disciples, right? I mean, as a church, if we focus on making disciples for the kingdom, that means we won't be advancing ourselves for the wrong reasons, right? That's right, in theory. But what really happens if we only focus on our church is that we eventually become conceited and self-centered, even if we had been keeping our motives all straight. How many disciples can we make before we start thinking our church is the end all? How many hundreds, if God were to bless us, before we really are just pouring everything into maintaining what we've already received? This is so important and so little understood in most churches today. I'll put it this way. The church as a whole must do what it asks of its members. I'm not drinking this for dramatic pause. I really needed it. The church as a whole must do what it asks of each member. What do I mean by that? Okay, what do we ask of our members? What is the ultimate and mission accomplishment for anyone who's committed part of this church? Well, it's making disciples. You know, we start with our families. We go to friends and hopefully expand out, go on some mission trips. We're trying to make disciples, trying to help people become disciples in the first place and grow in Jesus in the second place. That's the ultimate. In other words, we're asking you to replicate. One way or another, you're to make disciples for Christ, and it's precisely how we expand His kingdom, one person at a time, through replication. Most of you know this, but what is less known is that whole churches are called to replicate as well. What was that? Yes, churches are called to replicate as well. It's like mitosis. That might have, I don't know, probably most people know what that is, right? Okay, if not, you can Google it, right? It's what it means, it's what I mean by saying that the church as a whole must do what it asks of each member. As I've put it before, each church is called to be a disciple-making factory. And even as we understand that's what a church is, doesn't it become obvious that more factories are needed? Is there any ground left to be gained? I think so. That's what it all comes down to. If we're talking about advancing the kingdom of God, this is what it comes down to if we understand that. And generally speaking, which advances the kingdom more, making one more disciple or making one more disciple-making factory? Let me ask you this. Can you see the advancement of God's kingdom in the fact that Go Church now exists? That's kind of obvious, right? What if Christy and I had not answered the call of God from, and formed a team? Thank you to you guys, by the way. Most are still with us. Moved to Ridgefield in order to create this particular disciple-making factory right here. I'm not speaking to God's unfathomable sovereignty when I say this, but presumably many people who have been brought into the kingdom of God through this church would not have been, and many people would have not experienced spiritual renewal in their lives, and all the other fruit that has been the early legacy of this new church would never have happened. Now let me ask, how is it that anyone could think we should not do this again and again. How could any person on Team Jesus think that each and every church should not be multiplying or replicating early and often? How could we not think our best people should be put on this task, the very task with the greatest potential for advancing the kingdom of God on earth? For this reason, I must also ask, why are the best pastors and preachers not planting churches? Why are they writing books and doing fancy podcasts? We have far too many books already and not nearly enough churches. So what gives? Where are the so-called top shelf leaders when it comes to planning churches? I'm just saying. 
Why is the honor in staying and getting bigger when we are called to go and multiply? What do we see more of in Scripture? How many ways does our enemy reorient the church today around anything? Oh, don't get me started. Politics, millions of things, anything. It doesn't matter to him. He just wants to orient the church around anything other than advancing God's kingdom, which we do how? By making disciples. Sometimes I imagine Satan in a strategy session with some of his minions, and one of them says, I know, I know how we can stop this. What if the people think each individual church is the point? Has that happened? Oh, has it ever? And see, even if each church can truly make disciples in an addition sort of way, just think what would be missed if each church stops with itself, with herself. What will be missed? The exponential advancement of God's kingdom will be missed, but worse, all it will take is a generation or two of most churches looking at things that way, and we won't have anything left. Why? Because every last church, every last local church eventually dies. Every last one eventually. In case you hadn't noticed, none of the churches mentioned in the Bible still exists. That's part of how we can know that individual churches are only tools for a deeper purpose because God's deeper and larger purposes always advance. Unlike any individual church, God's kingdom does not die off after a hundred years or so. No, it continues to grow and multiply. And by the way, it is growing and multiplying everywhere other than America and Europe on earth right now. So again, what do we miss if each church ends with itself? We miss out on exponential and eternal kingdom advancement. That's all. Now, if you haven't understood what I'm saying yet, maybe the following illustration will help. In fact, as I prepared this message, I asked myself, how can I help them see why this matters so much? And that's when I thought of hamburgers. How important is a hamburger. Okay, sometimes a hamburger seems very important. I understand. When I return from, say, an extended hike or a mission trip to another country, there's only one thing that I want to eat, and that's a hamburger. But really and truly, how important is a hamburger? Does a hamburger make any eternal difference? Is anyone going to spend eternity with God because of a hamburger? No, not even if you put cheese on it. Not even with bacon. Although we're getting closer to significance, but seriously, making hamburgers does not quite compare to making disciples, does it? Okay, then, why can't churches today understand what McDonald's understands? Billions and billions served. That's what their sign says now. Some of you are old like me. You can remember when they put up there exactly how many hamburgers they had served, right? How did they get from a few million hamburgers to their current numbers that would be like trying to count the stars? How did they get to the point that they can't even keep track and just have to say billions and billions? Was it simply by cooking more and more hamburgers at one or two or even 20 McDonald's? No. They didn't just try to make more hamburgers, did they? What did they do? They made more McDonald's. And they did this all over the world. That's how they got to billions and billions served. One of the most frustrating things that ever happens in my life is when I hear someone say something along the lines of, why do we need any more churches? Try to be patient and explain, but really? Or even, why do we need any more churches over there? That should never be asked in the Pacific Northwest, trust me. Does McDonald's ask that question? No. They don't ask, why should we expand? But instead, they're actively looking for anywhere and everywhere that expansion could possibly be successful. They will simply put a McDonald's anywhere they think they can sell more hamburgers by doing so. In certain high population areas, if it's half a mile from another McDonald's, that doesn't matter as long as they can sell enough hamburgers to justify another McDonald's. They'll put one there. <laughs> 
So again, the point isn't whether there are already enough McDonald's, right? It's not how they think. The only point is whether there's an opportunity to sell more hamburgers. What's our point? In the church of Jesus Christ, to expand the kingdom of God by making disciples anywhere and everywhere we can. What are we waiting for? But let's get real, because our problem isn't mostly in just getting the point of church planting. Not the, not the real problem. The real problem is what I'm calling self-advancement as it relates to any one particular church. The sad truth is that many people go to church for what they can get, not what they can give. And most churches are feeding and fostering that very sentiment. Churches are about growing themselves most of the time, not growing the kingdom of God. That's the honest truth. But do you understand that this is completely unbiblical and wrong? Let me try it this way. If Go Church Ridgefield becomes everything you may dream that it becomes, I don't know, let's say a thousand people. And by the way, if your dream is that we stay small, that's equally as messed up for different reasons. But let's just say for most of you that in your dream, Go Church becomes this epic story. And let's say we reach the point of particularly noteworthy and regional impact. And let's just say that your motives are 100% pure, that you truly want God to do amazing things. You want to see people saved. You want to, you want to see people grow in Christ. And, it, and in your mind, you figure, it, you know, to have a bigger impact and do more things, you know, obviously we're going to need to have a building, which may or may not be true. But you've got all these ideas, and it's going to be amazing, and that's your dream for your church. Okay, so most of that is fine. And frankly, I'm truly encouraged that you care enough to have a dream for your church. There's nothing wrong with this, particularly if you're wanting it for the right reasons, if you're wanting it to expand the kingdom of God on earth. But listen, even if all of your motives are right, if you think this particular church is all there is to it, you're not understanding something. So let me put it another way. If you would honestly tend to sacrifice multiplication for the sake of your addition dream, and by the way, multiplication means sending people out and giving resources away, which is counterintuitive when you're trying to build something. So again, if you would not want to multiply in order to see your addition dream happen for your church, then you're either forgetting the purpose of your church or not understanding how best to accomplish it. What's our purpose? Advancing the kingdom of God. How do we do, do that? By making more disciples. But even more. How about by making more disciple-making churches? Folks will never completely fulfill God's purpose by simply making more hamburgers. We need to make more McDonald's. What I mean, of course, is that we need to make more churches who make disciples. By the way, do you know what the number one barrier to making more churches really is? The number one thing that is missing in the equation is people. We need laborers for the harvest. We need the people who can and should to do it. The number one problem is that there's often not a capable person ready and willing to plant the churches we need planted. I believe this is due to plain old disobedience. Most successful pastors want to stay in their cushy and comfortable positions, so it's always the rookies trying to plant a church. A few of them actually pull it off, not many. Just being honest, a few do. But either way, we don't have enough pastors or planters to come close to filling the need. That's just the truth of the matter. Secondarily to the lack of capable planters, we also see a lack of people willing to go on the team, to be part of that church planters team. Those who are willing to go along to plant the church. I'll be honest with you guys. When Dustin went out to plant in Portland, after a one-year residency here, getting to know people, connecting, being sent out from us to plant Go Church PDX, and when none of you felt led to go with him, I was disappointed. And you know what Dustin said about that to me? With a wry smile, he said, Mark, they like your preaching too much to go. That's what he said. So who's keeping us from multiplying like we should? Let me circle back and say that if you're here mostly to listen to a good sermon, you are off base. We're here to expand the kingdom of God by making disciples and by making additional disciple-making churches. 
Now, this is all very counterintuitive, of course. We did, after all, set out to start a church from scratch right here in the first place, and we had to be focused on it for a while to bring something out of nothing, to form a healthy church, and that was important. But we have now accomplished that task in Christ. Through our meager efforts, Christ has created a new and thriving church. But are we done now? Is that it? If we had a thousand people already, is that it? Is more people it? If we're the healthiest and best church on earth, is that it? Not in the slightest, nor was it ever. And if you've been listening for these last four or five years, you know this. We did not set out to plant one church. The goal is to advance and expand the kingdom of God on earth. Every church we plant is a tool in His hands to that end. Now, I know some of you are wondering if this is about to lead to something specific. To earth-shattering news, not at this moment. Not at this moment. So take a deep breath. But it doesn't hurt for you to rest in the tension either. Our trust must be in the Lord. I would not be a very good pastor if I did not use my shepherd's crook from time to time. And honestly, God has been using it on me. Do you think I'm immune to any of these things that need to go? Of course not. As I said, I get too much credit. So who gets credit that doesn't want more of it? I've probably said things in meetings or even in sermons or led in certain ways where I lost my way on some of these things. This message is for me as much as it is for you. Self-sufficiency, self-exaltation, and self-advancement, three things that need to be left in the dust today. Can you do it? Not without going to the cross. Only the cross takes away our natural selfishness. Jesus said those who try to hold on to their lives will lose them. We could put in there our church. Those who try to hold on to their church, hanging on to everything, I'm telling you, this does not work in the kingdom. This works. Jesus was so clear about that. We need to go to the cross. We need to lay some things down. You might have an idol. I know what I, I have. I, I have at times. Would you pray with me? Let's lay some things down. Let's come to the Lord and ask Him. Am I off on this? Is there some person I'm relying on too much? Is there some method? Is there some dream, some something that's really about benefiting ourselves? Is there some way God needs to change your heart today? Would you just give that to him? Go to the cross and remember what he gave for you. His life, his everything. What do you need to lay down for him? You'll be better off. How can you actually live for his kingdom instead of your own? Or even that of your church? How can we make sure that our church is about advancing the kingdom of God by making disciples and by making disciple-making churches. What, it, what is it going to mean for you? What if it means something very real down the road? Are you ready? Can you get ready today? Leave it at the cross. Lay it at the cross. God's plan is bigger. Lord, I surrender today. Just lay it all down. With gratitude in my heart for all that you've done, but fear that having received it, I would now try to hang on to it for dear life. Open up our hands. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. It's about what's best for your kingdom. Where will that lead us as a church? I'm not sure yet in all the ways. God, grow us to maturity, to be able to live the life that you've called us and enabled us to live.
And I pray for more Holy Spirit movement in our, in our midst. I know that it's not about particular signs or things that I'm looking. I'm not looking for anything specific. I know that Holy Spirit movement means people repent. It means people's lives are changed. We've seen those things. I don't even know what I'm asking for, God. I just want more of you. More of you, less of me, less of go church. We will decrease. I pray you increase. Get a hold of us. Change our hearts. All to Jesus I surrender all. To you I freely give. I will ever, I will ever love and trust Him in your presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.